Hi, I'm Kristen Luck. I'm the founder and managing partner of Scale House, and you're listening to the Cut to the Chase podcast. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 111. I know everybody's scratching their head going, my God, this guy is just like a podcasting monster. He's just cranking them out. 111, 111 episodes in less than one year. That's quite impressive. But today we have brought on a friend Someone that I've known through LinkedIn for many, many months, I'd probably say over a year now, and uh, we finally reached the stint of us being able to collaborate. We're going to collaborate today on something that I think is very important, not only in who we are, but how we represent ourselves. And so today, our episode is entitled Fearless. Now, she is someone that this word represents just kind of, I would say, the poster child of Fearless. And when I read a little bit about her bio and what she's done, I think we'll all agree. And so today I have a quote that I like to kind of jump into, and it basically says, you have to be fearless and take chances. Don't live life fearing what comes next. That's not what living is all about. Now, I know we're all sitting back in our chair right now saying, oh my God, you know, I am fearful of this. I'm fearful of that. We're living in uncertain times. But when you hear our featured guest story today, and once we get into all the great things she's overcome by being the person that she is, a very outstanding, empowered businesswoman, I think we're all going to resonate with the fact that sometimes we just got to get out of our own way and put that fear aside. So today, our featured guest serves as an advisor and a growth strategist to several cutting-edge marketing and analytic technical companies. And also, she serves in a firm, which basically she's the founder of, called Skillhouse. She is also the founder of two marketing analytic companies that she led successfully through Exit. She co-founded OTX, which was an online research business, which was named one of the fastest growing research firms in 2002 and 2003. Subsequently, she went on to acquire Zelnick Media and Poly Group, and again, she went on to achieve great success in 2007. Then she founded Forefront Consulting Group Research Development Technology, which was eventually required by Decipher and acquired by Focus Vision in 2014. And after several consecutive years of double and triple digit growth, she continued to beat down the paths of success. She's a licensed investment banker with Obrick Security, 
and also the founder and focus of fellow, oh, excuse me, and the founder and focus on helping fellow founders, executive teams scale and monetize their business. Her deals basically operate on both sides of the transaction is where her expertise lies. She's also passionate about supporting founders and international markets execute their entry into the U.S. United States. She's had acquisitions of exit, both from $30 million to well above $225 million. She's a regular contributor to both the commercial Fast Company and Forbes and the Academy Press of Research World Journal of Brand Strategy, where she explores emerging markets and research methods and consistently ranks as one of the top 100 sales and brand marketing experts to follow on social media. Now, I've said a mouthful. Anytime we start introducing people and the amount of revenues that they're dealing with and so forth and so on, it can kind of get like, woo, a little bit chaotic. But without further ado, I am going to open the floor up for opening remarks from my dear friend, Miss Kristen Luck. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this has been... Uh, this has been a long time in the making. You know, I've been following you on LinkedIn for, for months now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm active on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, 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 you are. You're, you're, you're quite active on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, a lot of things that you put out there is just, it's just great content, you know, great articles and various things, particularly as it relates to the field that you're in and all the great things that you're doing. And so welcome to our program and uh, let's cut to the chase. So my first question to you is, how did you get involved with basically being an advisor and working in growth strategists for marketing and analytical companies? I mean, what led you to that? Yeah, I've had a, a pretty diverse career so far. <laughs> I would I, say the least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think what has defined my career the the most is that I I make pretty significant pivots based on what I'm what I'm interested in and what inspires me and what I'm passionate about. So if there's something I'm so excited about that I'll work on it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's generally the the next thing I'm going to gravitate toward. But I, I was fortunate. I, I I started my career quite early. I unlike most folks, I had to work my way through through college. So um, I worked full time. It took me six years to graduate university. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did that working at a social science research firm. And then, of course, once I once I graduated, I I of course had to go get a job right away. Mm -hmm. And ended up landing in a market research field. And uh, that was you know, late 90s, sort of right before the dot-com boom hit. And one of the things that I got really interested in was how do you transform traditional research into online research, which mm -hmm. I think for many folks today is sort of a no-brainer. Why, you know, why wouldn't you do research online, but back in the late nineties, it just wasn't done. I mean, people were barely utilizing email at that time. And so I was fortunate that I, you know, I, I was young enough and gutsy enough and I hit the dot-com boom just perfectly, you know, scaled and sold my first company within three years and then had a, you know, a succession, as you mentioned earlier of companies after that, which I was fortunate to, to also scale and, and sell. And, 
after my last sale, I, I really sat down. There's a, it's kind of an exercise that I'm happy to elaborate on in more detail, but there's an exercise that I, I go through every time I'm in some kind of career transition to really hone in on the things that I really love and enjoy doing. And, and what I really love and enjoy doing, I realize is not so much the starting of companies, but the scaling and the growth and all the problems and roadblocks that, that come along with that. And so I thought if I could just work with founders every day to help them scale and monetize their businesses in the same way that I did, well, that would just be the most rewarding and fun thing that I could do. And so that's, yeah. that's now what I do every day. Yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like, you know, a very um, exhilarating, you know, fulfilling uh, passion that you have for helping founders and being able to give back as well as taking you know, the extremities of what you learn through your own life lessons and business career and really adopting those things in a way that uh, it kind of packaged things up nicely because, you know, a lot of founders, even even including myself, you know, we find ourselves when we're raising capital, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, which is, you know, the old cliche is, um, well, you need to go through an accelerator program or you need to go through an incubator program or, or, or whatever the case may be. And what the fallacy has always been for what I've seen through my research is that sometimes you spend more time researching and trying to figure out whether or not the program is actually going to work for you. And you're doing a lot of due diligence. And sometimes those things actually probably are not quite the right fit for you because, you know, they're there to either take your money or take equity in your company and basically be able to uh, to utilize you to whatever extent they see fit. And so Absolutely. one of the, yeah, yeah. And one of the, one of the things that I find with your story that's so intriguing is the fact that number one, you are an empowered woman, as I mentioned before. And number two, you know, you saw, Let's just call it the brass ring before it even materialized. But number three, the number three piece of this, which I want you to elaborate on, is that predominantly you have kind of dealt with a male type of society in dealing with business. And you've had to come at it with really kind of a, a, a fearless undertaking. Can you walk us through some of that? Because right now you are at the top of your game. And I love that. I absolutely love that but I know it didn't come easy. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think first I want to, I want to just kind of address some of the comments that you just made about accelerators and different programs. And I think sure. I was, I was really fortunate because I, I, I started a company so, so early on, you know, back in the late nineties when I, I really didn't know anybody that had ever started a company, let, let alone a woman. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think a lot of the resources that entrepreneurs are sort of barraged with today, like accelerators and venture capital funds, none of that was available to me as a, mm-hmm. as a founder, nor did I go to business school. And mm-hmm. so I really learned things through the school of hard knocks, which is mm-hmm. how many times can you screw something up and make a fool out of yourself and learn things the hard way? Right. Uh, I, I also think that, Every entrepreneur is on a path that's made for them and that there's so much pressure now to go into an accelerator or to raise venture capital. And what I really advise folks to do is like figure out the path that's right for you because Mm -hmm. 
it's not right for everyone to raise venture capital money. It's, mm -hmm. it's not right for everyone to go through an accelerator. And I think many times, and, and this is part of the, the ego that comes in, I think, or sidelines a lot of entrepreneurs, which is don't get so caught up in the trappings or the, or the positioning of being an entrepreneur and instead focus on what's really important, which is on building your business. You know, don't right. worry about having a fancy office. Don't worry about having a press release that says you got three or $10 million in funding. Mm -hmm. That's all just noise and clutter. And it mm -hmm. distracts you from the, the, the real business, which is growing and building something that either you're going to scale quickly and monetize in the not too distant future or a company that lasts for generations that provides a great source of income for you and your family. There's no shame in that either. Right. And, and so what I always try to encourage people to do and what I've done in my own career, having never taken on venture capital funding or, or participating in accelerator is that really take the time to figure out what is a value to you and what most resonates for you in your path. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly I can, I can respect uh, that in your, in your input because, you know, you chimed on the fact that it's, it's really not for everybody. I mean, it's not for, you know, obviously being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart because of the simple, the simplicity of what you have to go through and, you know, the perseverance and all of the other things that come, come along with this kind of uh, emotional roller coaster as you step into being an entrepreneur. And in the early inception stages of, of getting your business off the ground, there's so much dynamic change that occurs that, you know, to me, I find the risk and reward is, is, is somewhat therapeutic when, when, you, when you finally realize that it's all coming together the way you've kind of planned it. And of course, you've had to make some self-corrections, but, but ultimately it, it works out as long as you persevere and you continue to move forward. And so my next question to you, with regards to kind of how you stepped out and 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 really sought your vision in a way that, like you said, you went through a school of hard knocks, you know, <laughs> successes and failures. But were 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 there any mentors or were there any guidance that you kind of relied upon at the time to to kind of help navigate and charter your course now? We do understand that that you know, like you said, you were a woman, and so there wasn't that many, uh, you know, women-owned business back during that area. Plus, you were involved with something that was really not on the forefront of 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 being something that everybody could gravitate towards. But yet, you had this vision. So, were there mentors that you were able to tap into besides just a simple? hard school of knock success and failures, you know, what, what was that like for you in the early stages? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, well, at first I would give a shout out to my father. I was raised by a single father. Um, my mother left when I was quite young, when I was three. Uh, mm. and so I had the benefit of being raised by, a by a, a father who really just made me believe that I could do anything and expected mm -hmm. really nothing less than the best for me. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, he was a great sense of support, although not a business person himself and not somebody I could ask business advice from, but, but certainly gave me a high degree of confidence and self-assurance that mm -hmm. I could, I could really figure out anything. 
very, very early on. And one of the things that I encourage all entrepreneurs to do is really develop an, um, a personal network mm-hmm. of folks that are good at things that maybe you're not. Mm-hmm. And so to the point that I made earlier, I, I never went to business school. And I remember my, my first startup was within the, was, was done within a holding company called iFilm.com. And, and part of the reason that my business partner and I started that firm within iFilm is that they were, you know, really the leader in delivering media content online in the late nineties, mm-hmm. which was really at the, you know, the forefront of doing that. Most people were not watching videos and content online at that point. And uh, so I remember we, you know, we would have a, a group meeting and not everyone from each group would have to kind of report in their numbers. And I, I remember the CEO coming to me and saying, oh yeah, I need a, I need a financial projection for the next quarter. And mm-hmm. I had no idea what that was. And so I right. went, I went to the, I remember I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought um, business finance for dummies. And I read it all in one night. And then of course I put the most ridiculous chart that you could ever imagine together. That made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the, the CFO of the company kind of took me aside after the meeting and was like, do you need somebody to kind of school you on business finance? And very kindly did that for me. And he was a resource for me for years through my second and third businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anytime I had any kind of financial question, he, you know, he, he was a mentor and a guide. Uh, I had other other folks who helped me understand, hey, when you're setting up a, a business and you've got employees, you need to have payroll insurance or here's how you set up payroll or, mm-hmm. you know, here's your, you know, your liability insurance certificate that you need to get before someone will give you the keys to an office. All of the mm-hmm. things that you just kind of learn usually by screwing things up. I was very, very fortunate that I had cultivated a, a group of folks that, had knowledge so that anytime I had a question and particularly what I thought was a stupid question, they were not only receptive to hearing it and always took my call, but also incredibly helpful. And if they didn't know the answer, they knew someone that did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I certainly uh, agree with you there. Um, you know, even, even being an entrepreneur myself, you know, you, you typically can't do every single role and responsibility in your business. You've got to have good people around you. And like you said, you know, it's important to have a quality of networking um, resources that you can reach back into. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I can't remember it was uh, maybe a year or so ago. I saw a poster an article from the CEO who was saying, Oh, if you're the CEO of an early stage company, you should know how to do every function in your company. And I think that's just ridiculous. Right. I mean, that's just, that's ludicrous to me. I, I'm not going to be able to run a business and do the finance and build a technical product and sell and market. And I think oftentimes founders put so much pressure on themselves to do everything. I mean, I can remember in my second business because I was so frugal and didn't want to spend a dime. I was going into the office on the weekends and cleaning the whole office, including the bathroom. Mm. Well, that's, that's just silly. It's not a good use of my time. And when I look at my hourly rate, could I have paid somebody to do that and gotten some of my weekend back and spent more time on strategic initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's this founder's mentality and, and this, you know, sort of always be grinding mentality that is very masculine. And I don't think it benefits founders, male or female. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir regarding that with, uh, 
with certainly with me and, and keeping my head screwed on tight, you know, between all the different endeavors that I've got going on, where, where best suited can my time be? So I wanted to segue just a little bit because, you know, you really, you really struck a chord with, you know, the aspect of the qualities, and you didn't really go into a lot of detail, but the qualities that your father instilled in you, despite the fact that you did not have business uh, schooling or or be able to to share with you the knowledge of business, you know, the aptitude of all of those, you know, be on time, showing respect, um, having the discipline to see things through, I think those qualities really set the stage early on and it really lit the fire in what I see in you as your fearless, you know, persistence to, to, to stay focused on the task and to be successful as you have been through the course of your career and through your journey. And those type of things really don't go very lightly. They certainly don't go unwarranted because those are the same type of qualities that I see in myself when I grew up in my little small town and the respect that I had to uphold by one, the family name, and two, by coming from parents that work very hard, they never owned a business. And of course, when I stepped out to do my own business, you know, there wasn't a lot that I could rely on to uh, from them with regards to, to knowledge about running a business. However, they did instill that into my core, you know, of being able to put your mind to something and see it through and complete it. And, you know, there's so many things that can be said about parents, particularly during that particular era of time, that instill those type of qualities in who we are as professionals today. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the greatest gifts that my father gave me was that he really instilled me with a love of learning mm -hmm. and and also not to be afraid of rejection and failure. I remember early on, I remember I, I, I had applied for, I think I was trying out for the cheerleading team in high school. And I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was at that point used to being good at lots of different things. I remember I didn't make the team the first year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember my, my father's telling me something that really has stuck with me to this day in which I remember every time I, and, and yes, of course, not making the cheerleading team is small potatoes compared to what most of us go through mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis at this point. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I do remember him saying to me like rejection is God's protection. And sure. Sometimes the universe is protecting you from a bad job or a toxic relationship. And, and so it's important to remember every time you fail at something or get your heart broken, it's, it's okay to sad, to be sad. It's okay to grieve, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but move on, you know, better things are waiting for you and better things are ahead. And that, yeah. that was a really important lesson for me not to get hung up in, in small setbacks, but to really just push forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kristen, we're almost out of time. And certainly there's a couple of things that I would really like to ensure that we get across to our listeners. And one of those points is through the course of your career and all of your successful endeavors, what is it? What is what are some of the ingredients or some of the takeaways or value added that you could share with our listeners 
that has allowed for you to continue to maintain this fearless persona? I mean, we've talked Mm -hmm. about some of these things, but I'm sure there's probably more behind curtain number one. So I'm asking if you could share more with us behind curtain number one. (laughs) Yeah, the first thing I will say is that fearless is a persona. It is, everyone is beautiful. I, I remember I was speaking at a at a pretty big event a couple of years ago and a young woman came up to me beforehand and it was the first time that she was going to be speaking on stage and she said to me I'm I'm terrified. She mm-hmm. said I'm terrified. I'm I'm ter- I need you to give me a pep talk and I said well I'm terrified too. Um right. you know you just have to you have to push through it and I think that I I certainly would not define myself as fearless. I'm fearless. I'm fearful of a, of a lot of things. I think mm-hmm. what has been the key to me being able to push past that is that I have a really high degree of mental resilience mm-hmm. and I really stick with something. I, if somebody is negative or I have, I have a setback or things aren't going the way that, uh, that I plan it to, then I'm able to, to pivot or rethink or replan it, mm-hmm. it doesn't generally deter me from the path that I'm on. Uh, right. And I'll, I'll give a good example. I, as you mentioned, I, I have my investment banking license. I, I never went to business school. Everything I know about investment banking, I learned from selling three companies. But mm-hmm. that was from the founder's position. And when I decided to get my investment banking license, I remember signing up and starting to study for the test. And I was just so overwhelmed. I mean, I was studying every night and every weekend mm-hmm. for four or five months. And then I found out that a couple um, folks in the in the firm that I was affiliated with were actually kind of betting against whether or not I could pass the test the first time around. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I really dug in. I mean, like... Right. Any kind of challenge like that just really inspires me. And so um, so I did pass all the tests the first time around, I'm proud to say. <laughs> Congratulations. It, Congratulations. It, yep. was, it was grueling. I mean, I definitely cried a few times. I don't think I felt that stupid in many, many years and, and like way, way over my skis on on many things. But I, like I said, I do think I have a certain degree of, of mental toughness and resilience that allows me to, to push push through that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I absolutely uh, love that, you know, about you. You know, that story uh, really resonates with a story that uh, is very similar to something that happened to me probably about, let's just say, three, three and a half years ago. And uh, I'll be brief to kind of share with you this story. When you, when you said people were betting against you, you know, to me, what that did for me at the moment in time was it turned up the ignition source of the fire inside of me that was like, I will not accept failure. Yeah. And so psychologically for me, it wasn't an option. And so I'm going to share with you and I'm going to share with the listeners kind of what happened to me very briefly. I got a call on a Friday that basically said, Hey, Greg, remember that project we were talking about, about the president coming to the site, you know, and we need you to build helo pads and so forth and so on. This is when I was a project manager of a, you know, a large multi-billion dollar job. And they basically said, okay, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and approve that project, which was, you know, $5 million. 
And I said, okay, well, we know, you know, we're talking a couple months to really build this because of the amount of dirt and rock and all this different stuff that we've got to go out and purchase and, and acquire and procure. And he, he, he told me before he got off the phone with me, he says, you don't have a couple months. You've got 21 days. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, nobody wants to fail when the president's going to come to your facility. I mean, this is absolutely absurd. And he said to me, are you in or out? And I said, you wouldn't have come to me if you didn't know that I had the capability and the wherewithal to be able to succeed at this job. He says, well, you're right. He said, you know, so I know you're in. And he says, I know you're up for the challenge and you're going to do whatever it takes to get this done. Kristen, and to the listeners, I spent like the next literally 48 hours with my entire team combing basically our lower, you know, southeast Texas corridor as well as wherever outreach I could get like as many dump trucks, as many drivers, as many excavators and equipment operators as I possibly could to come in and move, you know, this so many millions of yards of dirt that we had to remove just to start to build this these helo pads up. And of course, it rained every single day, right? It rained every single day. Now we're two two days into this and I started to get wind through some of the people that were working for me. I had like 80 or 90 people working on this job for me. So we're day two and I got I got the I got a notion or uh, I got uh, some some means of communication. I can't remember if it came through the gossip rumor mill or whatever, but they said, "Hey Greg, do you realize people are betting against you? You know, you've had so much success out here. They are basically stating that there's no chance in hell you're going to get this done and have it all certified and have it approved for president to come in. And I said, what? So I put some inquiries out and people were like, yeah, there's several hundreds of thousands of dollars out there of people betting against you. And I said, so what's the odds? They said, right now, the odds are not in your favor. Everybody is betting that you will not succeed with a handful of a few people that are very, very close to me. Lo and behold, uh, Kristen, I basically pulled my team together and I told them that very day, I said, you guys can go home and sleep. You guys can get your rest. I expect you here 12 on, 12 off. We're going to work 24 hours a day. And I said, if you need me at any point in time, through the next 21 days, everybody has my cell phone number. And these guys looked at me and they said, you mean if I call you at three o'clock in the morning, you're going to come out to the site, you're going to do whatever it takes? I said, I will answer my phone and I will be here for every executive decision. I said, you do not take any orders from anybody except for me. I said, I don't care who comes out here. I'm running this project. We got the project done in 17 days. Wow. 17 days. It was so impressive, the the amount of stuff that we had to do, along with all the setbacks that we had, that I had so much respect at this particular facility that people said, when I left that job, they said, my God, you have really earned the respect of 
everyone on this site and every LNG facility here in the United States because we've never seen anybody doing anything that could even amount to what you've been able to do. And, uh, you know, it's quite impressive. But like you said, at that moment in time, I was not going to accept failure. So, you know, so I've been there. I understand what what you mean, you know, and, uh, you know, it's amazing what we can do when uh, those type of things come into play and we don't want to be pushed around and we want to get the sense of failure out of our minds and really focus in on who we can become and where our heart lies, which is the goalpost or the finish line or success, you know, or self-satisfaction, you know, and that's what kind of to me, what fearless is, is, is all about, you know, is, is really kind of overcoming that journey, you know, of self-doubt. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think to your, to your point, we are always capable of more than we believe that we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started studying for my investment banking exams, I thought I'm never going to be able to do this. I don't have any time. I'm so busy with my businesses and everything else that I have going on. Like there's no possible way I'm going to be able to do that. But guess what I did? I I did find the time. And so, you know, to your point also with your schedule, you know, you had 20 days, you did it in 17. I think we have an amazing capacity uh, that oftentimes we, we overlook. Yeah. Yep. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, Kristen, this has been, man, this has been fun. You know, I, I can't wait for us to collaborate. And certainly I can't wait to uh, to talk with you more about some of these other great things that uh, I've got going on. Uh, but, you know, to, to kind of wrap this up, you know, I do have one final quote, which I just like to leave with our listeners and yourself. And basically it says, once you become fearless, life becomes limitless. And I couldn't agree with that more because as the old cliche says, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And if you apply yourself, you can conquer anything you set your mind to. So Kristen, this has been a joy. We are certainly delighted that you've come on board with the program. Hopefully next time it won't take us a year to get together. (laughs) pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. There was a little pandemic and, uh, but you know, Hey, that, that makes it, uh, that makes it even more, you know, rewarding that, uh, you know, the time was perfect for you as well as the time was perfect for us, uh, to finally pull this together and, and collaborate. And so I'm, I'm greatly honored and appreciative of you being on our show. Yes. No, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so to our listeners, as I've always said, you know, at the end of every program, let's try and maintain compassion and unity and focus on our togetherness to make this world a better place. This has been episode 111 entitled Fearless. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you again, Kristen. Bye bye. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.